It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Let's uh, change geography and topics, but not unrelated in the sense of another form of conflict, clearly with the invasion of Ukraine uh, by Russia. The question is, what what is going on now? What's next? What's likely? And is this going to be a long war or some other term? Mark Moyer, military historian, his Hillsdale College uh, historian and author of Triumph Regained, uh, the Vietnam War, 65 to 68, joins me now. Mark, good morning. How are you? I'm I'm good. Great to be here. So, you know, I use the term the long war specifically because it's the question being asked about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It, it is an ever-evolving or devolving situation at times. Uh, Russia's capabilities, the, the massive amount of losses uh, that Putin seems willing to bear but lie about on the world stage cannot overcome the reality on the ground. So is this one going to be a long war? I think so. I mean, war is uh, usually unpredictable, but every indication we have is that, uh, yes, Putin is willing to keep sustaining these heavy losses. And, you know, we know the Ukrainians are also taking large losses. And I think Putin's probably figuring that he's got a much larger population that eventually he can prevail through uh, attrition. You know, to that point, uh, address the issue from your perspective of the Russian army and its makeup. Now, you have conscripts, you have their constitution, which Putin has no problem violating. Uh, they're supposed to be called up in defense of the motherland, but now they're being shipped to Ukraine to die. Yes, well, Putin's never been one to let uh, constitution or anything else um get in his way. And I mean, certainly the Russian soldiers don't have it uh, very good conditions. But if you think back to World War II, they were dragooned into fighting there as well. And, you know, often at gunpoint, and yet they still are able to defeat the vaunted German army. So um, for all their unsavoriness, uh, the, the, the unpleasant aspects of the, the Russian system, they still are capable of um, of fighting and reasonably well. Yeah, I mean, but to that point, and I understand what you're saying, and I'll add a factor of communication today different than World War II. When put into a battle, a soldier, however they got their fights to survive, a unit, the commanders, at that point, you're not having a political discussion. So the lesson of World War II was one of surviving the battle and eventually winning the battle because it was the best, the most obvious best case forward. Now I want to add the element of the instant communication, social media or otherwise, and the fact that you know it's no longer confined to the battlefield and communiques as it was in World War II. Yes, yeah, so that certainly added a new element in the... Uh... Ukrainians and their allies, including the United States, have been much better thus far in the information game than the uh, the Russians have. 
and um, but I think ultimately still the war will be decided by for the most part, by the troops on the ground. I mean, if, if Russia was a democracy, you know, all, all the news from the battlefield would probably have a bigger impact. But, you know, when there's negative news about the Russians coming out on the Internet or social media, it doesn't seem to make much difference to Putin. Yeah, I mean, he's not taking the soldiers from the, quote, laptop class in the bigger cities. A lot of them come from rural areas. Uh, for those who've been tracking or are capable of tracking who, to what extent, who these soldiers are that are dying on the battlefield or just forced to stay there through winter, which is another factor. Uh, so what is, you know, the idea of a strategy most likely to end the war at an acceptable cost? Is there really such a thing? Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, I think there, you know, trying to hit Russia in other ways besides uh, right there on the battlefield. And we've tried to use a lot of economic measures. Uh, so far, those don't seem to be having the desired impact. Um, I think at some point, probably there may, well, there'll have to be some kind of compromise um, where the Russians get a bit of what they want, because it doesn't seem like, they are going to just accept uh, defeat on exactly what Ukraine wants. And I think from, uh, you know, the United States and Western Europe do have some ability to put pressure on the Ukrainians. We're giving them lots of money. And so I think at some point we'll have to say, you know, here's an acceptable compromise and uh, we're not going to continue to fund you if if you're not willing to to settle on this, which is to some extent how Vietnam ends up getting settled in uh, 1973. Although I think the U.S. was, um, in that case, we U.S. pledged to help keep the peace, and that is a a big problem you'd have with any peace settlement because the U.S. You know, we have changes in government, and the next U.S. government might not be willing to help maintain that that peace in uh, Ukraine. Yeah, I, the idea of nation building, occupying force beyond even advisors and more, it's, it, it's a tough one. Now, to deploy, to deploy a strategy and not use it effectively is what we did with Russia's removal from the SWIFT banking system. Of course, economic pressures can be effective because the oil payments were still allowed to go through, and that is one of Russia's primary if not right now the primary source of revenue to fund putin's war so mm -hmm. if we don't deploy the strategy properly of removing them and cutting off the oil payments then if i'm ukraine or other parties involved why would i want to come to the negotiation table when my quote supporters aren't willing to deploy a non-lethal, I guess, in a sense, uh, part of their strategy fully. Yeah, well, one of the things I talk about in the book is uh, how the United States failed to understand what the enemy's vulnerabilities were. Um, probably the best example is the, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which is basically the North Vietnamese logistical lines that went through Laos and Cambodia. And there's this long-running debate within the U.S. about 
well, is this really going to make that much a difference? Are there too many risks? Um, and I think certainly there could be other vulnerabilities that we don't fully appreciate. Now, the you know our, our adversaries are always trying to hide what their vulnerabilities is, and um, you know we usually can't always agree on what they are. Uh, but yeah, I think there certainly could be financial vulnerabilities that we could be exploiting better. And um, yeah, I mean, the only way Putin is going to give up um, on term, the only way he may relent on terms that we can accept is that things just become too uh, painful for him. And uh, clearly losing his own troops doesn't seem to be causing that. So there may be other economic harm we can cause that will eventually cause him to back down. Do you think anyone has a reasonable enough assessment of what Putin is willing to bear? And it goes to what you're talking about. Loss of life, economic, uh, you're heading from winter into summer within a couple of months. Agriculture picks up in Russia, such as it is. So the population doesn't face winter starvation, doesn't face uh, cold, freezing and death as fuel usage changes. Uh, so you know, from Putin's perspective, if he's willing to bear in the sense of let his population suffer a great deal more and weather gets more favorable to living through those conditions, and the Russians have done it before in their history, then why would he come to the table to try to try and work along with any off-ramp or any other form of stoppage? Yeah, that's right. I think he... Again, faced a similar situation with the North Vietnamese in that they had this capacity for accepting losses, loss of life, and oftentimes rather senseless loss of life and that we had difficulty comprehending because if we had leaders who were performing as poorly as they were and we had that many people getting killed, we would think, you know, it's time to uh, either end the war or get, get rid of the uh, leadership. Um, Putin certainly seems to have put himself in a position where he can't get um, himself removed. So uh, we are in a position where there's little sign. Of course, no one really seems to know for sure exactly what's going on in his head. Now, I don't think he is superhuman and that he would, you know, just accept any and all lost, you know, uh, it, it could though take, um, you know, Adolf Hitler ultimately, you know, had to be uh, brought to the edge of defeat, and then he kills himself, uh, and it's only sort of that desperation that will lead to success. And I think um, Putin certainly seems to have that same sort of um, willingness to hang on to the bitter end. I think it's the man that we should be as concerned about along with the military equipment because, as you uh, say, in short terms, he's making the decisions. And I I think we've made a mistake in for those who have said that uh, Putin has an off-ramp, Putin has a way out, there's a negotiated – he has a goal, and by all indications since he began the invasion – he will carry forward to that goal unless defeated. And, and I think it's 
I, I, I've seen the history, and you certainly are the history expert here, uh, but the history of war and conflict depends more often on the leadership than it does on the men and machines on the battlefield. Yes, I think certainly he is intent on achieving an outcome that makes him and Russia look good, and he's not going to accept um, something short of that. And he has does seem to have the ability to kind of keep this up indefinitely, um, and that's also a problem you saw in Vietnam is essentially the, the aggressor was always on offense. Now, in the case of Vietnam, the U.S. talked about you know invading North Vietnam, but we were never willing to do it. And uh, you know, I don't see the Ukrainians themselves or anyone else, you know, marching on Moscow. And so there does seem to be, you know, Putin has this ability to kind of just keep things going. And the you know, latest reports indicate he's preparing a new uh, offensive against um, Ukraine and. Uh, so it, it looks like we're probably in for another bloody uh, season of fighting. Yeah, looks to be a bloody fighting season as the weather changes. Uh, Mark Moyer, uh, William P. Harris Chair of Military History at Hillsdale College, author of Triumph Regained, the Vietnam War 1965 to 1968. Thank you, Mark. All right, thanks for having me. Join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.